Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Uh, Today on the podcast, we had Elliot Connor, uh, who is the founder and CEO of the Human Nature Projects, uh, which is a charitable organization which operates in 104 countries. Uh, This is episode 58. I hope you enjoy it. And yeah, Please uh, take a moment to take out a subscription and yeah, have an awesome day. Bye-bye. Peace. Ah, hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. I do hope you're having a good day. Today on the Day In, Day Out podcast, episode 58, we have Elliot Connor. Okay, now... He is a TED speaker, popular writer for scientific journals. He is a charity CEO and filmmaker, uh, to uh, to say one of the few things. And you know what? He's one of these guys which makes you feel awfully lazy. He is only 17. Like doing all of this. Hey, Elliot, how are you today? How are you? I'm very well, thank you. A warm welcome from down under. Just dawning evening uh, right now, so uh, sitting back with a cup of tea, uh, my old British habits, uh, so looking forward to a really interesting conversation. Yeah, you know what, that, that's something which, re- which I, when I first heard you, heard you speak, I was like going, you don't sound very Australian to me. <laughs> it's like going, so like, yeah, when did you sort of get, come over from Australia, like, well, the UK to Australia? I've been living here most of my life, uh, moved over about five years old, uh, thereabouts, so I come from that uh, old British heritage, uh, bird-watching family, uh, love of nature, walks in the countryside sort of thing, uh, but been living here for the past 12-odd years, so it's a beautiful place in the world, a beautiful spot in which I live, so uh, yeah, really enjoying it here, I guess out and about, travel a bit, occasionally, not during COVID, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I love it where I am. It's a wonderful part of the world, even if the time zones can be a challenge. Hey, we work with what we got. We work with what we got. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, one of the things I find very interesting about yourself, like for the, like, the last year, maybe a little bit longer, you founded uh, like the Human Nature Project. Can you tell me something about that? Yeah, sure. So I guess that journey started in January of Mm. 2019. Uh, So on one of my little voyages, I actually spent about a month volunteering with a Raptor Hedgehog Rehabilitation Centre in southern France. Uh, So caring for these sick and injured birds and hedgehogs. Uh, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a, a very enlivening experience, even if a bit chilly. Uh, <laughs> being in remote France in midwinter is perhaps not your usual summer holiday, uh, not your usual summer break. Uh, but I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I am an animal carer here in Sydney, uh, ongoing, so I get to do a bit of that every now and then. Got a small menagerie of animals coming through the house. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's where I was when the idea formed. And actually at the time, I was analysing the operations of about 200 uh, major environmental NGOs. Uh, so just doing some background research, networking in the space. I'd always been interested, uh, done what work I could, uh, volunteering locally in Sydney mm-hmm. uh, and abroad. Uh, so that was just my way of... Uh, consolidating some of what I'd picked up, some of what I've learnt. Uh, but yeah, what occurred to me in the course of that period, in the course of those studies, was uh, just how challenging it was for all of these organisations to connect with the public at large, uh, to engage volunteers, uh, to get their messages out there beyond this typical echo chamber uh, they were trapped. In. So I guess Human Nature Projects was my way of countering that, uh, mm-hmm. being able to provide an entry point uh, for the likes of myself uh, across the world, we're now in 104 countries, to be able to uh, engage meaningfully in conservation actions. Uh, so that's how it all started and the charity was actually founded in June. 
So it took a little time to uh, get that moving. Uh, but since it's been an amazing journey, it's really transformed my life. Okay, yeah, because look, don't get me wrong, like, yeah, it started in June. Oh, well, oh, that's, that's really bad. Like, yeah, a, la a year later, you're in 104 countries. <laughs> like, okay. No, I'm sorry, but that is quite phenomenal growth. Like, out of those 104 countries, like, um, is it a case of you got, how are you working in those 104 countries? Is it individually? Is it, how are you doing that? Yeah, sure. So the model we use is what I call mass individualism. So the idea is with all of our volunteers, uh, we're looking at their skill set, their interests, mm -hmm. uh, really trying to work with them as closely as possible uh, to make sure they're engaged in activities they're really interested. Uh, so, I mean, at last count, I think we've got 1,400 odd volunteers uh, ongoing, actively engaged How many? in these projects. Uh, but yeah, they work with us. Uh, they've got that open feedback loop, uh, those uh, contact paths. They've got an idea, uh, but they'll be part of a national team. Uh, so they'll be part of a collective of volunteers in their country, uh, sometimes in a region or an area mm -hmm. uh, within that country, uh, but also connected with their skills or interests through these international working groups. Uh, so they have that chance to connect up with volunteers across uh, goodness knows how many countries uh, to engage in actions across those global scales as well. Uh, so we find it works really well. It takes certainly some of the workload off myself, mm -hmm. uh, having a very flat leadership structure, uh, having uh, all of those volunteers stepping forward into these leadership roles, uh, really giving them that opportunity to make what they will of it and uh, creating that grassroots impact globally uh, in a very organic manner. Right. Did you say you had 1,400 volunteers altogether? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you say you got like, you say you got a flat leadership structure. So there must be, uh, to co control 1,400 people, look, I have tried to organize birthday parties, nights out, and that's with like groups of five to 10 people. And let's just say, um, I think I could invade a country easier <laughs> than do that. So how, like, how many people are helping you coordinate uh, this mass of people? Yes, yeah, so I mean, we've got this international executive committee, uh, mm. so, uh, the people who oversee it all, I guess, and there's about a dozen in that. Uh, but for all of those national teams, they'll have uh, their own semi-independent structure. Uh, they'll have their own committee or board or panel, however it's set up in the country, however the chapter operates. Uh, but they're sort of semi-independent, uh, how they all work. Uh, yeah. So I coordinate with those hundred odd national directors as well every few weeks. Wow. Wow. I see. Blimey. So like, this is the thing, like, there must have been thing. What was one of the biggest things you've learned on that side of things? Ooh, that's a very big question. Uh, I mean, I guess the biggest learning of it all to come out for me is just to believe in yourself in a sense. Mm. I was a very, very shy person. Uh, still am in many ways uh, but yeah leading human nature projects taking that tremendous leap of faith uh, to start up an operation uh, which I guess is now of this scale uh, certainly pushed me to my boundaries uh, certainly tested who I was uh, how confident I was in this vision of mine uh, how I could put that in words how I could inspire others to action in this manner uh, so I guess ongoing, uh, I'm really, really inspired by the people around me, uh, by seeing so many passionate young leaders, uh, so many amazing volunteers connected through this community and through other organisations I work with. Uh, but for me, the biggest learning to come out of it all and from managing this network was just the tremendous power we all have if we have the uh, vision, have the potential, and have the willingness to dream. Ah, the willingness to dream. And like, this is the thing, like, yeah, I, I've got to say your dream so far, um, it, it seems like you're dreaming quite big so far, or is this a whole thing of it's 104 now, and 
it's going to be something bigger later? Yeah, well, I'm last year of high school, so uh, coping with various <laughs> other <laughs> pressures at the like, moment. It's like, it's like, okay, okay, yeah, that, I'm sorry. The reason why I'm laughing is because, uh, you know, like I, yeah, I have set up a charity, I speak to NGOs, I've got, I'm in 104 countries, I've got 1,400 people who, like, are working, uh, working with coordination with, I've got 104 directors which I'm working in coordination with. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, I'm still, like, yeah, I still Still got to deal with high school <laughs> that blows my mind love it sorry to interrupt please carry on <laughs> yeah yeah so i guess that part of my life finishes about early november mm. uh, but after that i'll take a gap year uh, set some time aside and yeah looking forward to growing uh, this whole operation much larger i'd like to visit some of these national teams uh, some of these amazing leaders who i've connected with online uh, have that opportunity to uh, really connect with them on a much more personal level uh, to hopefully expand this whole thing tenfold or what have you. I'd love to make it uh, a more universal constant in the space, uh, acting as that uh, really powerful force uh, for community conservation, because I think that's where this whole field's moving towards. That's where the future lies. So if we can do that, and I think COVID uh, has been a tremendous leg up in mm -hmm. making the global community realize uh, the power of banding together of these collective solutions. Uh, so if we can achieve that, that would be amazing. Mm, no, I think it would be. I think it would be. Uh, I would imagine things for yourself with regards to how you communicate with COVID, the planetary lockdown, uh, as you will, uh, has been challenging to say the least, or has it been just hey, I've just water for ducks back. You tell me. Yeah, it's been a fascinating time, I guess, to be alive, uh, quite simply. Uh, I was saying before uh, that in Australia, we've been uh, relatively lucky and that we've escaped the worst of these COVID impacts. Mm. We were locked down for maybe a month, uh, maybe slightly more. Uh, but I kept busy. Uh, I wrote my first book, uh, which was good fun. I... Uh, and the great thing about the way human nature projects, I guess, is organized is it's all online. So uh, whilst some of our in-person actions uh, were certainly delayed, whilst uh, there were many, many challenges to overcome, the organization itself uh, went on relatively unhindered. And I think mm. that's what we're learning with globalization uh, under the status quo. Uh, these global uh, operations, yeah. uh, the scalability of such projects is unlimited yeah no um well uh yeah the only limitations i would say is going to be one's imagination um but uh yeah with that uh what is like let, let me ask you what is the name of your book because i can find it but what is it it's called human nature uh, okay so really really simply looking at the past present future of our relationship with other animals and I guess that's my life goal uh, to be able to reframe this relationship uh, to be able to make uh, ourselves as humanity uh, review ourselves from a new standpoint uh, to break outside of these traditional biases uh, some of the uh, long set ways of viewing ourselves and yeah really appreciate other animals on a much more fundamental level is what I'm angling towards in all of my storytelling messaging communications mm, no like this is the thing so wait how like how many pages is your book just out just purely out of curiosity oh that's a tough question it's about 250 250 odd typical length yeah okay like so how do you manage your time that is the big question in my what's going through my head right now Ooh. Yeah, I guess I work long days. I'm really passionate about what I do. Uh, so uh, my daily routine starts about 4.15 in the morning. Uh, I set what time? About, about 4.15. 4.15. Okay. Yeah, come yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. So I wake up to the Lion King, actually. Uh, currently, <laughs> the circle of life is my alarm. 
so okay. very appropriate. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, morning routine is doing correspondence, lots and lots of emails and other platforms. And I, I, I speak myself like a butterfly thinker. So I flip between passions, ideas, projects. Uh -huh. I'll devote plenty of time to whatever's currently on my mind. I've recently updated my website. That took a chunk of time and my CV and yeah. other things which pop up. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoy what I do. I devote a lot of time to it as much as I can spare uh, in a bit schoolwork and uh, other such things. I like to uh, volunteer with lots of different organizations, lots of different ventures. I, I like to share my uh, wisdom, uh, my skills as much as I can. Uh, so, yeah, it's certainly a busy life, uh, but it's one I really enjoy. Uh, so hoping to keep it up and expand it in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Start your day at 4.15 in the morning. Look, okay, the only reason why I like, ask about your time management, because, look, I, I have known, I know adults which can't be as coordinated as yourself i've got to say it but like to like uh, okay i and i started a charity i'm like doing a book 200 like 250 pages like you know i mean keeping up with a blog keep updating my website and still going to school <laughs> you're a very rare breed my friend a very rare breed like so what is the thing what keep gives you your driving energy because look not many people would have that sort of drive like people who might go yeah he's 17 he's got all the energy in the world but what gives you your drive day to day yeah so i'd say it's two things and i mentioned before uh, being part of amazing communities like human nature projects it definitely plays into it uh, being able to speak with people across a dozen countries on a daily basis uh, so many inspiring young leaders is uh, certainly a very large factor uh, which is involved. I know when I started Human Nature Projects initially, that was <laughs> quite the challenge, uh, obviously, to scale it uh, so rapidly. Uh, mm. But what really kept me going was the sheer adrenaline. I'd never experienced anything like it. A very local, ordinary life. Uh, going from that to speaking uh, with goodness knows how many people and goodness knows how many countries uh, I, I still can't quite get over uh, the exhilaration uh, that comes uh, with such conversations is uh, yeah it's an amazing part of the work I do and I guess the second aspect is the animals themselves uh, what got me into it in the first place is my love of nature I still think it's fascinating uh, these animals how much we do and don't know about them uh, i mentioned being an animal carer here in australia mm. so having uh, that very intimate connection uh, with these living creatures uh, taking the time out of my daily schedule to feed them to uh, flight test them to clean their cages whatever it might be uh, but i love uh, that really close connection to them uh, from that time in france i mentioned uh, one of my strongest enjoying memories actually is a vulture release Okay. So uh, we'd done a day trip to the Alps uh, to release this griffin vulture, and they do long term monitoring uh, studies, conservation uh, for the griffin vultures uh, at the station there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, they'd got a bunch of sheep carcasses from the local farmers and put uh, them out. Yeah. This is how they count the vulture pairs, uh, how they study them, and uh, then surveying for the nest sites. Uh, but simply seeing them soaring overhead on this precipice is a sight I'll never forget. It's really, really amazing, quite breathtaking indeed. Uh, so I remember thinking at that time, what if everyone could experience this? What if we could get more people out in nature? What if we could give this opportunity to others? Mm. I still live by that motto uh, for the joy of living. If we can uh, reconnect the family tree of life, if we can, uh, give others a chance to really bond with nature. Uh, okay. then I think that's uh, the joy I find in it all, uh, giving other people those opportunities. Mm, indeed. Very interesting. Very interesting. But with, with regards to sort of getting your message out, um, like, yeah, 
how are you doing that is that through is that through just youtube like um is that through just social media how like what have been some of the key ways you've been doing that yeah so the unifying factor i guess in all of the messaging i try and send out there Mm -hmm. is to bring it back to the basics uh, to keep it really simple and really optimistic uh, because I believe a lot of the media, a lot of the press coverage we get in this field is very negative, very downcast. I recently uh, did a survey of about a thousand colleagues, a thousand environmentalists in the space, just to get their perspectives on current events, on uh, their knowledge of how matters are changing in the world. And what I found is overwhelmingly, uh, they picked these really negative answers, which oftentimes weren't true. Uh, actually, in the multiple choice, they got less than random a chance. So they got two out of the nine questions, which is quite a feat, if you think about it. Okay. Uh, so there's a really large knowledge gap. So uh, what I'm doing is trying to fill that in. I recently started the Cabinet of Curiosities, uh, which is like a mini documentary series. Mm. I did it during the lockdown as a way of connecting people with nature whilst we couldn't go outdoors. Yeah. So a really simple format, about 10 minutes per episode. And I take an item out of my collection, so I've still got the set beside me. Yeah. Uh, but looking at various different things I'd acquired over the years. Uh, so I think I started with a shark's egg, uh, which you might find quite commonly in Sydney, washed up on beaches. Uh, moving on to a snail's foot, an operculum, uh, which is another good fun uh, trivia uh, fact, uh, such a story to tell behind these objects. Uh, but again, something you would find, uh, but perhaps not notice in your everyday mm. life. Uh, moving on to termites, to bird nests, to cicada exoskeletons. Uh, so really simple, basic objects, uh, but then looking at the stories behind them. Yeah. And likewise, I've just started the Human Nature podcast, uh, so through my charity, uh, which is interviewing uh, celebrities, prominent environmentalists, and just speaking about an animal they love. Mm. Uh, so a living creature uh, they are fascinated by, uh, which they have some connection with and exploring uh, what we might learn from it. And then moving on to a trivia round. Uh, so again, some good light-hearted fun, uh, just 10 simple questions about uh, what often they don't know about this animal and related matters. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'd like to move into filmmaking, aspiring uh, Attenborough or what have you. Uh, but in the meantime, I content myself uh, with various projects along these lines. Mm, like aspiring Attenborough. I'm glad to see you're like trying to fill some really small shoes. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> okay. Like, so if like aspiring Attenborough, if they like, what would be sort of free animals you would really love to go out and like horror and film? Ooh, what are the three animals I would like to film? I'd love to go to Madagascar, and that's mm -hmm. top on my bucket list. I'd love to film lemurs, yeah, They're fascinating creatures. Uh, I mean, the whole biodiversity of the island itself is quite extraordinary. Uh, I'd love to film whales, I think whales are. Uh, underappreciated creatures uh, to some extent uh, they're possibly the most intelligent creatures on earth uh, so there's so much we don't know about them so much we can learn and uh, i think the social dynamics they have are mm. quite incredible uh, so lemurs i'd like to film whales uh, maybe sperm whales yeah and the third would be it would have to be something local. Uh, I'd like to film uh, some of the Australian wildlife. I don't think that gets the appreciation it deserves. Uh, very, very unique. Mm. Uh, very uh, impossible by most standards. Uh, there's these typical stories of when settlers arrived on the continent, uh, they thought all of these animals were hoaxes. Uh, they couldn't <laughs> believe they existed. And uh, all the fascinating oddities we have here so yeah my third animal would have to be uh, an Australian animal and I think it would be a tawny frog mouth uh, which is like an owl uh, a nocturnal bird I've actually got one in care at the moment okay. uh, but they're probably one of my favorite animals of all time 
they're just such charismatic creatures in many ways. Uh, they really embody uh, that spirit, that perkiness I love in living creatures, uh, some of those qualities you can't quite define, uh, but that would be my third pick. Yeah, you know what, like, those are like some very interesting and unique choices. Like, this is the thing, like, not if I was in the sort of Madagascar area, like I would have to hop, skip, and a jump over to like Africa, like basically just honey badger, like honey badger, those little things. I've got mm. to say, just bouncing around, doing what they do, like terrifying everything in its path from like basically from zebras to lions. They don't give a damn. <laughs> so it's like, yes. But yeah, sperm well. Uh, yeah, why sperm whales? I must ask. Yeah, so I guess for the most part, I'm a land lover. I don't get to appreciate some of these wonderful sea creatures. Yeah. Uh, I've never been one for beaches or diving or what have you. Uh, but the more I find out about uh, whales in particular, and sperm mm. whale is meant to be uh, one of the most intelligent, if not the most intelligent creatures on this planet, uh, the system of communication they use is almost indecipherable uh, to humans uh, but we know it's effectively a language in and of itself uh, it's it's an, like a treasure trove of knowledge uh, famously we sent whale recordings out into space on the voyager golden record mm. uh, so hoping that aliens might be able to better understand them uh, then indeed they might understand human speech uh, I think the lives whales lead are so secretive uh, for animals of their size. Mm. Uh, there's a, an incredible amount we don't know about how they live out their lives. Uh, their, even the most basic facts of their existence, uh, which if they were that large on land, uh, we would certainly be aware of. Uh, so. Uh, there's just that fascination with the deep ocean, uh, with these marine creatures, which I'd love to know more about them, uh, to be able to connect with them uh, more than I have had the opportunity to do so already. Mm. Yeah, like, I've got to say, yeah, like every animal I tend to like is quite aggressive and out there. But when it comes to sort of like, yeah, when you say whales, I'm like, I, I was like, please, please say Please say orcas, killer whales. Please say them <laughs> because, like, yeah, I, I love, I love the fact that, yeah, whales are intelligent and stuff like this. But uh, there's something about killer whales I like, which is a how can I say? They're a little bit sadistic <laughs> when it comes to certain things. Yeah, it's like, a, hey, hey, buddy, you're safe over there. Um, basically, oh, what, what was it? Uh, did you see? I think it was Blue Planet where they had they doing the whole thing about how well like the killer whales like they all bob up look at this seal yeah on that on that ice pack went down did the big wave come on what's not to love about that <laughs> it's like that's ingenious how they hunt i think they're incredible creatures and the honey badger as well you mentioned uh, uh, both fine choices i'd love to film either one i was just in south africa in January uh, to do some filming, uh, oh. but didn't see a honey badger, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> I mean, killer whales famously are the only animals uh, to have grandmothers. Uh, so to keep uh, the second generation uh, oh. for social purposes. And the reason they do so is so they can uh, teach all of this knowledge, all of these uh, tips and tricks for staying alive. Uh, so uh, you mentioned like the create, creating that wave to yeah. uh, wash seals off uh, the icebergs or others uh, intentionally beach themselves. Uh, so a ride up uh, as if surfing on the wave yeah. uh, to catch seals on the shoreline. Uh, so I think they're amazing creatures, very successful creatures, of course, uh, found across the globe. Uh, but I wouldn't quite make it into my top three. Well, like, hey, like, look, I'm just sort of like going back and forth with you here with regards to that. I, as I say, there's part of me which is like, yeah, if if it can hunt something down, and I'm not the prey, I'm all good. I'm all good fans of it. It's just like, yeah, but if if I was there, 
No, <laughs> I would say if I can outrun the slowest person next to me, this sound bad. <laughs> it's like it's you and me. <laughs> Ain't gonna be me. <laughs> uh, like you mentioned uh, the nocturnal hour in Australia. You say you're taking care of one right now. Um, like this is the thing. Like with Australia, uh, it seems like so long ago, but it's only been six months since the the mega fire like took hold of Australia. It with the whole craziness of what 2020s brought. It just felt like when someone said that, I was like, said that to me the other day. I was like, and there, that was, oh, it wasn't that long ago. Like so that impact what has happened from the fires like what have you sort of seen sort of firsthand uh going on you're taking care of one like you take care of several animals coming through what's it been like yeah 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 so i work with a rescue organization called wires Mm. and it's been very mixed Uh, i know they've been overloaded run off their feet uh, pretty much up until now with some of the aftermath of those events it's Mm. been a tremendous year for australia a very unique uh, past six months certainly uh, dealing with those bushfires uh, there were innumerable uh, animals affected i've heard uh, one estimate was about a billion animals (laughs) in new south wales before new year i haven't heard a revised estimate but i think people are scrambling for numbers Uh, it's many many more than we could possibly count uh, animals that were affected i mean the australian bush is designed to burn uh, these Mm -hmm. ecosystems sorry no worries i now believe no i believe that's your alarm (laughs) you were saying yeah yeah so these ecosystems are designed to burn uh, Mm. the eucalypts and the predominant tree type uh, full of these very flammable oils Uh, but the problem then is in the fire management Uh, so we've been preventing those fires from breaking out Uh, we've been deliberately stopping them uh, which has allowed it to build up Uh, so it there's a lot we can learn from those experiences uh, being able to better manage uh, the fire landscape Uh, Mm. the aboriginal people do an amazing job uh, did an amazing job in patch burning uh, so in uh, creating uh, new vegetation in areas uh, whilst allowing the rest to restore and the animals themselves uh, will recover much faster uh, than mm. the area uh, will so it might take a decade for the vegetation to grow back fully uh, perhaps two decades three or more uh, but certainly as an animal rescuer it's been a busy time uh, Sydney's been relatively untouched by the fires, uh, which is good uh, for me. Uh, so I'm, I guess, a little way from the front line of where all of that damage uh, was taking place, uh, but still smoke filled skies, uh, ashes, and uh, very many people uh, who are waking up, I guess, uh, to the impacts we've caused on this environment. (laughs) The flip side of the whole narrative is that WIRES and the other rescue organisations have been inundated with support. Mm. Uh, There's been a wonderful, wonderful showing up of community who are donating to organisations like this, uh, who are offering themselves up to be trained as carers, as volunteers. So. There's two sides to every story, uh, but it's been pretty awful for the wildlife. Uh, Mm. It will take uh, several years, decades for it to recover. And we're learning from the whole process, uh, certainly getting stronger moving forward uh, with the rescuing organisations. There's much good actually that's come out of it. Uh, We've been uh, supported like never before. Uh, Mm. So... It's been interesting times, certainly. I see, I see. Uh, what have some of the sort of collective lessons been learned, do you think, uh, by different organisations uh, such as yourself? Yeah, so I would certainly say that we've learned uh, to be more resilient, uh, that we've learned 
uh, we need to connect with the public first and foremost mm. uh, that uh, events happenings like this are both curses and opportunities uh, so uh, all of the organizations I work across uh, in this environmental space uh, chipped into the bushfires chipped into those recovery efforts and uh, whilst ongoing uh, but they were using that as an opportunity to engage the global community in solidarity. Actually, at the time, as I mentioned, mm. I was in South Africa uh, for much of the worst of the fires. I was uh, on a filming endeavour, on a mission uh, for about six weeks. Uh, so fortunately, uh, or unfortunately, I was away from most of the action. Uh, but I know from uh, connecting uh, many times with people back home and even talking with my international connections uh, just how much of a wake-up call it was uh, to everyone out there and that we can learn so much from it moving forward in terms of how uh, people generally are very open to these messages open to uh, helping out the environment they know things are wrong they know uh, there needs to be a solution it's providing the link between the two i think yeah so as i say acting as that entry point uh, into the field hmm. Hmm. i see and basically we're like we did touch upon uh how you are getting the message out via film uh you're also doing that doing uh ted talks and other like sort of speaking engagements uh how did you get involved in that side of things yeah, it's a funny story, isn't it? Uh, because I'm certainly a born introvert. Uh, I've never actively sought those sort of engagements. Uh, I guess starting human nature projects, I had to step up to fill those roles, mm. uh, speaking on uh, the charity and other projects, other ventures. Uh, so I've learned the skills very recently, uh, perhaps only early this year. Uh, very sudden shift of direction of momentum for me uh, moving into those spaces as you mentioned i did uh, the ted talk on the 29th of february actually so strange date but there you go and uh, yeah increasingly uh, yeah increasingly moving into those spaces doing online conferences webinars i really enjoy speaking about the subject obviously uh, for the mini documentary series acting as presenter and then for my podcast, all of these new avenues opening up uh, with that new skill set. So I think the time was right uh, to be able to acquire those skills. Uh, but it's been a funny journey for me uh, working up there and uh, taking that on. Yeah. Like, as an introvert, like, how did Ted find out about you in the first place? Because... You know what I mean? When you say TED Talk, that is uh, a high, like high prestigious crowd of people. Like, how did this introvert, as you say, get into that? Yeah, so the theme for the event was permanent beta. Uh, so about constantly changing, constantly adapting uh, to mm. these new circumstances. And uh, some of the messaging I'd been doing around the time was learning from evolution. Uh, so mm. actually the title of my talk was Evolution and How to Save the World. And I'd been using the analogy of natural selection, uh, so all of nature's laws, as to how we can approach conservation from a new angle, uh, mm. how we can reimagine uh, the field. Uh, so I guess there was just a match there. Uh, the organisers got in touch, offered me to uh, speak at this amazing event. And of course, I said yes. It was uh, many weeks of preparation. Uh, it's obviously a huge uh, opportunity, a huge venue uh, to speak at. Uh, was second, third talk for me, so <laughs> quite a step up. Uh, yes. Were the, were, were the nerves telling at one point? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think... Well, it's actually mostly before you step up on stage. It's uh -huh. about uh, those 30 seconds, uh, 60 seconds before the talk starts, uh, which are the worst. Uh, but I got through it and it's amazingly uh, organised all of these TED events. It's a brilliant organisation, so plenty of support. 
Uh, I got to go in the day before, uh, run through the scripts and such. Uh, got a full on sweet breakfast actually, uh, just before uh, the talk. Not that I was particularly hungry, <laughs> not that I had any appetite. <laughs> But yeah, they're really supportive, a great community of people behind me. Uh, so it was an incredible chance to share this vision of mine. And certainly looking forward to uh, building upon that, moving forward, uh, finding new opportunities, uh, sharing uh, my thoughts. Uh, so that's the big idea, yeah. Mm, mm. Like, mm, from, let me just take you. If you could, and I'm going to eliminate one person right now, you can't have David Attenborough. Uh, you can't. If you could interview anyone in the regards to the worlds of environment and like, yeah, filmmaking, what, like ever, apart from Attenborough, who would you interview? Well, I think the person alive who I take most inspiration from uh, apart from Attenborough would be Jane Goodall uh, I think it's quite incredible what she's done uh, mm. with her life going from uh, very humble beginnings uh, then having this chance to uh, research the chimpanzees in Gombe National Park uh, to learn about their way of life and look at it from a very new angle uh, she approached the research like no one did before her and so we get these new insights, uh, famously, uh, man, the tool maker, yeah. uh, this predominant belief uh, was debunked. Uh, she showed uh, them fishing for termites, uh, now constructing spears and such. Uh, so uh, various use cases uh, of quite ingenious inventions of theirs, uh, which broke this very fixed mindset we were in as a species mm. uh, so quite similar i guess in some ways to what i'm trying to do uh, but looking at perhaps different uh, belief sets uh, different uh, stigmas so like man is the most intelligent creature or man has culture or uh, man is the only creature able to communicate uh, communicate uh, with this uh, very complex language or man is the only creature that, that can work across these global scales uh, so all of these can be argued against uh, very much, uh, but it's a matter of persuading the global community, uh, showing uh, people in a very uh, open, very engaging way, uh, just how alike we are uh, to other creatures. Uh, so I think Jane Goodall is someone I really look up to uh, from uh, just her vision, her unique perspective, and uh, the change she's created in this world. Mm -hmm. No, I'm liking that. Very nice. Very nice indeed. Like, what would be, like, one sort of key piece of policy you would like to bring into the world uh, to make it better? Ooh. Well, there's one law I really like. It's slightly obscure, uh, but in Switzerland, I believe it is. Uh, they've got a law uh, which is about giving dignity uh, to other animals and plants, actually. Uh, so it's a strange law in many respects, uh, but moving towards this recognising the rights of nature to exist, uh, to be itself, uh, to be appreciated, respected uh, by mm. humanity. I think if we can work something like that in, uh, that would be quite revolutionary. I know... Uh, actually, quite recently, there was a concert done just for plants. Uh, you might have seen it. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> a really oh, sorry. unusual event. <laughs> okay, yes. Uh, like, a concert just for plants. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I don't know the full details, uh, but it was over there in Europe. Mm. And uh, as a way of raising awareness... Uh, partly due to the COVID lockdown, uh, some of the restrictions are currently in place, uh, but quite an unusual idea, uh, quite an innovative uh, venture. Uh, they performed, I think it was an opera uh, performance for this audience entirely composed of plants. Uh, if we can do that, then goodness knows uh, where we can move to next. Uh, so if we can 
approach things from that strange an angle, uh, then uh, respecting dignity of other life forms should be easy. Well, yeah. What did they play at this concert? Like, what music? I'm, I'm very curious. Like, did they go from techno dance to gangster rap, or was it classical? What was it? <laughs> I don't know what plant's musical taste would be. I do believe it was classical. Okay. I couldn't tell you specifically what it was. <laughs> no, that does amuse me because look, I know there's been studies where they say music helps plants grow, but mm. a concert, <laughs> like, like, like I've never heard of that before. And like, yeah, what would they play? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, Rage Against the Machine, maybe. <laughs> it's like, mm. uh, I think that'd be a little bit too <laughs> for them. It's like, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you, 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 you've tickled me there. You've tickled me. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so this might sound strange, but yeah. What, like, if there was one film which would speak to you about nature and all its sort of things, like, what would that be? I have a suspicion what it might be, but yeah, what would that be? Oh, I think I want to hear this suspicion of yours no, no, well, first. Like, no, no, well, I've, like, you say first, and then if, if I'm right, I'll confirm it. If I'm wrong, hey. Oh, it's, it's a tricky question, okay. uh, to be sure. Uh, I know Attenborough has been a tremendous inspiration, but I'm not going to go with any of his documentaries. Uh, I think what he does is incredible. Uh, one I've watched recently is actually about Jane Goodall. Uh, so a recent documentary, Jane, about her life. Uh, mm. That definitely touched me, uh, her storytelling, her ability to... Express the characters, the personalities of these chimps she was surrounded with. Uh, so that might be on the list, uh, but it's really hard to say. It would vary a lot uh, from month to month. Vary from month to month, but there's got to be one film what speaks to you, is there? Is there one film that speaks to me? Uh. I think I'd have to think about this. I'm sure, I'm sure it will come to me. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're determined to get the answer out of me first, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I don't what, want to disappoint. No, no, no. I, I see what game you're playing, but I won't, I'm not going to say anything until you do. <laughs> Ooh, hmm. Honestly, I couldn't name a film right now you uh, which name really a film? speaks to me. Okay. There's nope. nothing that comes to mind. No, nope, nothing what comes to mind. Fair enough. That uh, would leave that circle of life for now. <laughs> it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, you've also like taken it upon yourself to like do a little bit of study along the way, like outside of your sort of natural curriculum. Uh, like I see, like looking at it, yeah, you've been involved in Harvard. Is that correct, or am I? Yeah, yeah, I do quite a lot of online learning. Uh, so MOOCs, they're called uh, these massive online courses. Uh, I, I guess it's just my way of exploring things which interest me. Uh, some of the more unusual ones I did, uh, I did one on molecular gastronomy. Uh, so about using science in cooking and uh, some of the bizarre applications of that pursuit. Yeah. Uh, I did one on basic weather forecasting. Uh, so things like spinning a sock around your head 
and such to determine the weather. That was very good fun. Wait, wait, how <laughs> is spinning the sock around your head going to help you with the weather? Come on, you can't just say that and just like, oh, now moving on. <laughs> how? I'm intrigued. Uh, there are ways of determining the humidity. Uh, so if you wet one side of an apparatus and then spin it around, uh, seeing how much it cools, uh, things like that uh, can be helpful, uh, but not necessarily a sock. It could be any <laughs> implement which you roll around your head. Fair enough, yeah. Hmm. Oh, my God. No problem, no problem. Interesting cat. Interesting cat. No, no. <laughs> got to say it. Uh, yeah, I've got to say, yes, you are a very interesting cat indeed, sir. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, so what, like, gastronomy like basic weather forecasting so you just were like i'll do that do that for a whim and there you were yeah whatever takes my fancy really i spent a year training in historical sword fighting uh, so that was also very good fun uh, actually almost simultaneously i set up a science lab in my basement uh, so collected lots of chemicals from the local hardware store uh, and pool stores and such. Uh, yeah. Lots of research on where I could acquire them. Uh, made some glassware, uh, woodwork and such. Uh, but that was quite a major project of mine. Uh, I do lots of collecting. So obviously have this documentary series of mine. Yeah. Uh, looking back at those old stashes, uh, but everything from minerals to elements of the periodic table to rocks feathers stamps coins fossils uh, insects uh, all sorts of things i really enjoy that opportunity uh, so yeah i guess it's whatever tickles my fancy in the moment i i enjoy pursuing all, all manner of interests uh, when i can find the time my god i've got to say this look, I, look i'm gonna look you like you're 17 now, which, like, you know what I mean? Look, I've met a few 17-year-olds in my time. And let's just say, if they were, like, to say Muslim were focused and driven, no. That has not been my sort of thing. I use myself as an example of that. 17, <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> it's like, furthest thing from my mind. But you're sort of turning into a real Renaissance man where like yeah picking up things here there and everywhere and look collecting like collecting sort like learning about sort it's like okay look all you need to do is take up astronomy and you'll you'll be pretty much dead like look, you got the science on there like yeah like look just like all you need to do is write diaries in complex code and you'll be Da Vinci, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. I've actually just got a book through the post I've started reading. Uh, okay. It's the work of Francis Buckland. Uh, so actually around that time period, a uh, very, very old book, 200 odd years. Uh, but it's fascinating uh, what he writes. He was like a very early popularizer of science and natural history. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> some incredible adventures, uh, perhaps, which might not go down well with modern audiences. Uh, I think he gave his two pet monkeys uh, strong spirits uh, every day of the week and such. <laughs> he turned one into a tablecloth after it passed away. Uh, so okay. <laughs> quite eccentric. He could tell an animal by its urine and he, well actually after Charles Darwin, uh, many of the uh, prominent people of the time he took to zoophagy and uh, such pursuits. So tasting obscure animals uh, for pleasure. Uh, various things from crocodiles to ostriches uh, to turtles. Uh, but fascinating, fascinating man. A really interesting read. Ah, I see. Like, this is the thing. Look, I think if it wasn't for, if nature wasn't such a vast scope, and he thinks you would be like studying some really unique, interesting people through the realms of history. Uh, if if that doesn't work out for you, but I think that nature is going to keep you somewhat busy, yes. uh, to say yeah, the yeah. least. 
<laughs> but yeah, let like tell me about your podcast. Let this be one of the like as we're sort of wrapping things up. Uh, yeah, like uh, you had a astronaut on, or someone who helps train mm. astronauts on. Like how on how on earth did that come about? Yeah, that was a really interesting conversation I had. Uh, her name was Nancy Vermeulen, a uh, Belgian astronaut trainer. Oh. So she actually started the first uh, non-governmental uh, agency for training astronauts, for mm. training uh, privates to go into space uh, with this new industry. Uh, so, yeah, I found her by LinkedIn, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, probably connected on there. Uh, but talked to her about this podcast of mine, uh, this new creation, and she was really keen. Uh, we spoke about the brown rat. Uh, so one of those animals you don't really appreciate in your everyday life, uh, but which is all the more fascinating for it. Incredibly, incredibly successful. Uh, an opportunist like humans themselves are, mm. uh, making the most of new habitat niches, uh, adapting very rapidly to changing circumstances and incredibly good at surviving. Uh, so... Yeah, that was a really, really interesting conversation I had. I'm looking forward to many more to come. I just recorded with a tree kangaroo conservationist. Uh, so another very unusual animal, uh, perhaps, uh, but <laughs> all the more interesting for it. Uh, mm -hmm. Tree kangaroos are <laughs> one of those creatures you mightn't know about. Uh, or the everyday person wouldn't come across, uh, certainly. Uh, they're incredible how they live their daily lives uh, mm. on these islands in this archipelago, uh, Papua New Guinea region, uh, Northern Australia uh, sometimes. Uh, but yeah, really, really enjoying it. Uh, just starting out on this podcast, Human Nature, uh, being able to chat with people about animals they're passionate about is, what I've always been doing in a sense, uh, but being able to share that with others is a, a wonderful experience. Perfect. Now, this is the thing, like when you say tree kangaroo, like I've, uh, I've kangaroos, yes, joeys, yes, which are the smaller ones, I believe, but tree yep. kangaroo, I have never heard of that at all. No. Okay, so the simplified version is there's kangaroos, which yes. are the big ones that hop. Uh huh. There are the wallabies, which are the small ones that hop. Right. Okay. There are even smaller ones, which are called quokkas and padamelons. No. You don't see them much. Okay. And there's something between a wallaby and a kangaroo called a wombaroo. <laughs> you can be making then this there up. There are tree <laughs> kangaroos. Yeah. Tree kangaroos actually split off from the other kangaroos. Uh, so kangaroos evolved from possums, uh, mm. which are your typical rooftop pet pest uh, here in Sydney. Uh, quite standard stock animals. Uh, they came down from the trees and they adapted to life on the ground. Uh, but then for whatever reason, the tree kangaroos went back up into the trees. Uh, so perhaps exploiting a new opportunity, a chance to exploit new food resources, or yeah. what have you. Uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, they've gone back up there and they're sort of half adapted uh, to this new way of life. They just about manage uh, climbing about the trees. They don't have the prehensile tail anymore. Uh, they make do uh, with what they have, uh, but they're incredibly versatile in saying that amazing creatures uh, to learn about and I knew very little uh, before researching the show itself so it was very good fun having that conversation. Excellent, excellent. Before we go, what is a goal or target you would like to achieve within the next year? Oh, I would like to, many things, uh, but one goal uh, would be I'd like to travel more. I'd like to COVID dependent. I'd like to gain more experience in filmmaking, possibly presenting. 
mm. and uh, build up some skills that way. Uh, but more importantly, grow human nature projects. I'd like to double our impact, double our reach, uh, trying to grow this global community because uh, I think that's what it's all about. Perfect, perfect. Okay, can you tell the lovely people out there how they can reach you, how they can find you? How could they just get in contact with you in general? Yeah, so my website is elliotconnor.com. Uh, that's Elliot with two L's and one T. Uh, the Human Nature Projects website is humannatureprojects.org. Very simple. And that is the two major routes, I should think. Uh, the Human Nature Podcast can be found at anchor.fm uh, slash humannaturecast. Uh, so definitely check that out as well. I release podcasts every Wednesday, every week. Uh, so that's my latest venture, uh, but that's all on my website. So head over there and check it out. Excellent. I'd like to say thank you very much for coming on today, Elliot. I'd like to say a thank you uh, to everyone who is still watching right now. To all my friends, my life warriors, I say stay safe, stay well, be awesome, be fantastic, be excellent. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. Ah, thank you very much and peace. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh yeah, we are 